Hi and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sonia Thomas. I'm Sarah Jordan. And I'm Gavin Cooper. Welcome to Series 2, Episode 8. So today we're joined with Dr. Madalena Jajo. Dr. Madalena, she's a consultant immunologist and allergist and she's service lead for clinical immunology. She's also a senior honorary lecturer at UCL. So today we've discussed the immune system, in particular the organs involved. We've gone into a bit of detail into the spleen, the lymph nodes, bone marrow and thymus, and the barriers that protect us from bacteria, and particular cells, proteins, and then the skin. Also, a bit more in depth into the role of our cells itself, so our neutrophils, lymphocytes, and eosinophils. She also touches on primary immunodeficiency disorders. This is the first one that we've done that is particularly focused on the immune system itself. So we hope you will enjoy. Hi, Magda and John. Thank you for joining us here today in a really hot room in the Education <laughs> Centre. Um, so we, we're going to try to get through this in about 20 minutes so that we can get out of here and get into the fresh air as quick <laughs> yeah. as possible. But um, I guess the first question we've got is, you know, you're a specialist in primary immunodeficiencies. And we sometimes see patients with that disorder on the haematology wards we work on because they're going through transplants. But we don't really understand a great deal about these disorders. So could you give us a little bit of a background about what is a primary immunodeficiency? So primary immunodeficiency, we need to talk a bit about the immune system. So the immune system is essentially a system within our body that protects us from getting infections and dying from them and from getting cancer in other way. The immune system is redundant, which means that there are many cells, many proteins and many other barriers that help us getting an infection and becoming serious and then maybe dying from a severe infection. So the main players in the immune system are cells, and these would be types of cells like neutrophils, lymphocytes, eosinophils, macrophages and monocytes. Then we talk about a group of proteins. These would be complement proteins, immunoglobulins and cytokines. Then we talk about barriers because one of the parts of the immune system is essentially the mucosal barriers Mm -hmm. and our skin and cells within the skin, like macrophage-like cells called Langerhart cells. Mm -hmm. And finally, we talk about organs where the immune system either sits, resides, is produced or is trained. And there are four of those. And we have thymus, we have spleen, we have bone marrow, and then we have lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that as a whole, the missing part either of an organ or any part of the immune system I mentioned will lead to an immunodeficiency in general. Mm-hmm. The good news is that because it's so redundant and this whole all parts work together, even if one is missing, is faulty or is defective, the other parts sort of protect and we do not die because otherwise if you were missing just lymphocytes and we didn't have other parts of the immune system to protect us, human beings would not survive. Mm-hmm. Now, with regards to primary immunodeficiency, in, in simple terms, we would say about immune system not working as primary and secondary immunodeficiency. Primary immunodeficiencies are the diseases that are genetically caused by a deficient or deficiency of faulty gene which will lead to immune dysfunction, either by a function of a cell or by a missing cell. So if you think about any cell which is born and then Mm. the maturation process and then doing the function, it requires various genes to be able to go through the maturation process and then do the function. 
If the gene is faulty, it can then delete that part of the immune system. So, for example, some gene defects or gene mutations that can be transmitted from the parents to the offspring would be responsible for severe immunodeficiencies. Children born with SCIDS are managed at Great Ormond Street hospitals, mm. as you know, and these patients, has, these patients have severe immunodeficiency where, for example, T cells are missing. Children get viral infections, fungal infections early on babies and die. Yeah. The treatment for this type of primary immunodeficiency is bone marrow transplant that we might want to mention later. And SCIDS, it stands for? Severe Combined Immunodeficiency. Okay. The other type of primary immunodeficiency seen in, so in, in the adults we hardly see SCID because these patients either die yeah. Or if, if they are diagnosed, they are treated, and then they survive. We're always talking in hematology about doing things to modify T-cell behavior. Could you give us a bit more insight into the, the sort of the normal healthy role of the T-cell, what it does? T-cells, T comes from thymus, and thymus is, I always think, is my favorite organ. It sits here between the neck and the chest. And it is a school for lymphocytes. And essentially what happens when T cells are made in the bone marrow, they go to thymus. And why do they go to the thymus? That they are going to be trained to That's a really learn, good way to think about it. To <laughs> yeah. recognize the antigen, to learn which is a foreign antigen and which is a self-antigen. So these lymphocytes don't go and attack your own uh, pancreas. And as you know, in autoimmune conditions, there will be probably somebody else talking that would happen. So these cells go to school called thymus, <laughs> and then they learn, get trained, yes. This is called a selection. It's a positive selection. Uh, so essentially, you negatively delete the cells that haven't learned the role properly, and you maintain positively select those that are specific for an antigen. And what is fascinating about that, if you think about how many antigens there are, around us, if you only think about numbers of bacteria, viruses, etc., etc., the T-cell is specific. So each T-cell is specific, for example, to HIV virus, part of it, or to pneumococcus, or you name it. The T-cells, unlike neutrophils that will engulf or destroy anything around them, T-cells are specific. And once these uh, T-cells these learn the role, they go into the periphery. And what they do, I remember in the MSC, somebody told us that they are actually managers, which you, if you think about our <laughs> managers, they manage, yeah. they order. And who is actually, this would be the CD4 or CD helper, yeah. or CD manager, lymphocytes and then they help the cytotoxic T cells they activate the cytotoxic T cells in case of infection for example and this the this uh, cytotoxic T cells then release various toxic substances from the inside the cell in that way they kill the bacteria they also train B cells and that is fascinating because the real network so then the T cell is essentially working with the B cell, activating it to make specific antibody. And again, if we talk about pneumococcus specific T cell or B cell, they, these are specific cells talking to each other. But it is even more interesting how it works, and maybe we in NHS should learn how actually this works, that if you think about the bacteria, the, the bacteria, if it comes to the blood, 
then the, it's called antigen presenting cell, which would be either dendritic cell, a monocyte, or macrophage line. They will engulf mm. this bacteria. We chop it down, chop, 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 chop to little bits. And then we'll present the part of the bacteria, the antigen, on the MHC molecule on top to the specific T cells. And what happens is these specific T cells that went to school in thymus, they just go round and round and round. <laughs> And if the specific uh, T cell for this particular part of pneumococcus in this case is around, it will come. They'll find it. We'll find it. They link. In that way, then the T cell gets activated and then it recognizes the danger system and then it calls for help and the CD8 cells come and throw whatever they throw from the inside the cells. B cells come, they get activated and they get then um, primed to produce specific antibody again to the same thing. And this is like an orchestration and a network of cells working together. Once the antibody is produced, then the complement comes and it's all together and goes to the spleen done. I would like to mention in the thymus that there is a problem there, and that is relevant to you guys, with the training. That theoretically, we should only have bacterial or, or, or microorganism-specific T cells, and all T cells that would recognize self-antigens, so part of our body should be deleted. However, because cancer cells are self-cells and they will have self-molecules, how it works is that there is a small proportion of these cells that will recognize autoantigens to enable us to have some protection in starting the immune response against cancer also. But in some situations when there is no control, then this um, self-reacting uh, T cells going to the body will then prime and will start the, the onset of autoimmune diseases. And that is one of the causes of dysregulation within the thymus, which leads to autoimmune causes. And we actually see it in some of primary immunodeficiencies as a part of the condition. But in general terms, we are going a bit off site now, but there is a gene called AIR, A-I-R-E, and this is a gene within the thymus that is essentially responsible to control the autoimmune or the, the T lymphocytes that recognize self and actually not to let them develop there. And people who have a defect in, in AIR, they will have all this autoimmunity, severe uh, systemic autoimmunity, but that is a different topic. But the immune system, because it is so, it covers everything. Yeah. It's difficult to talk because it's fascinating how many areas it actually is involved. Well, thank you for explaining what a T cell does because I actually now really understand, which is brilliant. Thank you. I now love the thymus as well. That's brilliant. <laughs> now, another type of primary immunodeficiency, for example, is a defective function of neutrophil. Now, neutrophil is a cell, white cell that you probably know, that is fighting an infection by throwing out free radicals and killing various organisms, bacteria in that way. There is a defect in some enzymes within the cell, which then stop neutrophils from producing these free radicals. And patients having this condition, for example, have chronic granulomatous disease, and these patients are susceptible to severe fungal infections, these patients also have severe bile problems, and these patients can either be treated with bone marrow transplant or with other therapy like prophylactic antibiotics to protect them from the infections that they can get. 
Another type of primary immunodeficiency that we see in our clinics most often would be the antibody deficiency. And that means the antibody deficiency would be an endpoint because antibodies are made by plasma cells, which are mature cells from B cells. And the antibodies essentially work by coating the bacteria and then linking with complement. This is called opsonization. And with the cell having a receptor for this antibody, I would like to draw it, but this is the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it is yeah. then taken to the spleen and destroyed. Patients who uh, do not make antibodies are at risk of particular infections with encapsulated bacteria, Haemophilus, Moraxella, Pneumococcus, and they are treated with one, prophylactic antibiotics, if antibody deficiency is not, very, not that severe, or they are treated with immunoglobulin replacement therapy. Some patients are more severe, depending which gene defect or what is causing antibody deficiency as an endpoint. But this is a very important group for you guys, mm. because we receive referrals from hematology or actually end up seeing patients treated with in hematology for hematological malignancies and with your wonderful treatments prolonging people's lives, you not you, but <laughs> the treatments cause secondary antibody yeah. deficiency and therefore for the same reasons patients do not make antibodies because their immune system was destroyed as part of treating cancer and therefore we manage them in more or less the same way that we would be treating primary antibody deficiency. The other example of primary immunodeficiency, very close to our hearts, would be complement deficiency. And complement, as I said, is part of the immune system, being a cascade of proteins. And complement works together with antibodies. As we said, mm. if we have a bacteria, antibody coats the bacteria. Complement is attached to the terminal part of the antibody. Then the complex then binds to the macrophage and then the, the bacteria is engulfed and destroyed. The complement deficiency can be very severe and the most common clinical condition in patients with complement deficiency is meningococcal disease or gonococcal disease. And these patients are treated with prophylactic penicillin long term mm. and also with prophylactic vaccinations. So part of the immune system, as we said, the antibody part of this system is strengthened toward the, towards the meningococcus. So the patient as protected as we can do. We do not obviously do bone marrow transplant for complement because it's a different... It's just uh, like lifelong supportive treatment. It's a lifelong supportive treatment. And uh, the other condition I would like to mention is the... Maybe Professor Levy has mentioned that before about uh, hereditary angioedema. Yeah. He mm -hmm. has talked about that. So essentially it's also an immunodeficiency where C1 esterase inhibitor, uh, which actually should regulate the complement cascade, is missing and patients have severe swellings, which can be life-threatening. And they can involve the upper airways and people can die from that. But just to say how varied the whole field is. Yeah. And then another immunodeficiency primary would be considered if somebody is born without a spleen. 
spleen is an organ and spleen is a very important uh, organ one because the red cells go and die there and also the engulfed bacteria with macrophages go there and get destroyed but also especially in infancy when the immune system is developing spleen is very important because some of the antibodies are being made within the spleen and if this is missing that's part of the immune system also missing. We'll see patients with sickle cell disease who typically will have this sort of problem where it's a I think sort of splenic it is... infarcts or removal surgically. So here we talk again how we think the things actually link together. That would be a secondary immunodeficiency okay. in anybody sickle cell, the spleen. We can say either about organic missing of a spleen, so there's no spleen, either it was removed, for example, splenectomy after a road traffic accident, yeah. mm -hmm. or splenectomy, or also a splenia or spleen which is not functioning. And that is exactly the same thing, that you miss part of the immune system, and therefore people without a spleen are at risk of similar type of infections that patients with antibody deficiencies are. And we mentioned the pneumococcal infection, meningococcal infection, hemophilus, and we can help by making sure patients are vaccinated and maintain good antibody response. It kind of seems like there's quite a lot of overlap in terms of what it will be like for the patient between maybe some of the immunology disorders and hematology. I mean, all those sort of infectious complications. Whereas I guess sometimes the ones we cause might be temporary, whereas the ones you're treating might be lifelong, for example. Yeah, that's true. I think patients behave very differently, whether the immunodeficiency is caused by the treatment or road traffic accident or whatever, mm. or if this is a result of a missing gene, faulty gene or genetic. So, been, so if they've been born with it? If they were born with that. Sometimes we see people more and more who acquire primary immunodeficiency. And that is a field which is expanding and we do not quite understand. So patients would be well for 20, 30 years and then they start developing problems quite quickly and then we diagnose them, for example, with common variable immunodeficiency, which is an umbrella of antibody deficiency. And then we find that they have a faulty gene, for example, CTLA-4 deficiency, and various genes, and it's difficult to say, we think that this is mutation that they have acquired during their life, rather than the mutation that they have inherited. But okay. what is important here is, we know that our DNA is being multiplied, changing all the time, mutation come and go, that's how cancer occurs. So that's how we can get cancer, because there will be a mutation in a part of the DNA in the cell leading to cancer, same from primary immunodeficiency. There will maybe a mutation which will occur that will cause the lymphocyte not working properly or another part of the cell not working properly or actually not being produced. And what it happens that that would not be a germ, the mutation in germinal cell. It will be a mutation only in the cells that are affected. Therefore, you, the patient affected, would not transfer it to the offspring mm -hmm. because if it occurred during the lifetime, if you inherit it from your parents, you will have them in the germinal line of your cells. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you will transmit that to your offspring later. So uh, these are the two differences. I think a few years ago, 
uh, we would only think the primary immunodeficiency is an inborn defect. And now we learn that actually there are more and more uh, defects that actually occur, you know, in the adulthood or even late in adulthood. Do we think that in the same way that we know that cells are affected and DNA is affected from, for cancer, from, you know, smoking and UV rays and things like that, is there something that sets off that process? I don't think that there is any data on that yet. Yeah. Also taking into account that these conditions are very rare. One in a hundred thousand would have primary immunodeficiency. So at the, is with cancer, lung cancer, how common it is, I don't think we have this epidemiological data mm. to conclude either way, but certainly there must be something that is yeah. causing uh, the problem or the mutation in the DNA in the adult life.